This morning's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that your word would be bread to our souls as we consider what Jesus has said. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to speak to our hearts, and Lord, we know that we don't live simply by physical things, but there are spiritual truths which grant spiritual life, and Lord, I ask that you would do that in our hearts this morning. Those of us who don't yet know you would come to know you, and Lord, would you grant that Those of us who are weak in our faith would be strengthened. We have praised you. We have sung of your goodness and your power and your glory. And Lord Jesus, we ask that all of us would be edified together as we think about these words which Jesus has spoken. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We have been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. We have found ourselves now in the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular passage that we've just come to is the beginning of the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. And what we discover that Jesus does is, is he's essentially applying the entire sermon, which began in chapter 5, and here we are uh, closing in chapter 7. And he's now going to apply these truths uh, that we see in Scripture. And we're just going to think about one of them this morning, this, this command to enter by the narrow gate. And I've had a couple of you ask me, um, what's the ESV? Um, so in case you don't know, the ESV is the English Standard Version. It's the version from which I preach. And if you are looking for a copy of that, you can find it for free at your nearest app store, um, whatever that is. Um, ESV.org will also give you links to those, which you can download free and carry a, a Bible with you on whatever device you have. Um, and so that's what I use. I, I just lay that before you in answer to, to some of your questions, English Standard Version um, or ESV. You can find it. And so I would invite you to join me with your whatever copy of Scripture that you have. It's just a few verses. It's just two, three sentences, two verses today that we're going to look at. And I would invite you to, to have your copy of Scripture open so that you can see what Jesus is doing. Because I want to tell you where he's going, and then we will jump into this particular section. Because what he does is essentially conclude the sermon with four different parts. And, and we see that if you look the, at the end of chapter 7, what we discover Jesus is doing is essentially giving us four kinds of warnings. So he does uh, contrasting two different things in each of these segments. So for example, we're going to look at today this first section of verses 13 and 14 where Jesus contrasts two different gates that lead to two different ways of living. Next, he will contrast two different trees which yield two different kinds of fruit. Um, in verses uh, 21 to 23, he, he contrasts two different claims of knowledge. And then finally, there's, in verses 24 and, and on, there's two different builders who build two different foundations upon two different foundations. So Jesus, if you, if you see this contrast, he's forcing you, if you take him seriously, to ask the question, which one am I? 
Because as we move through each of these contrasts, you're forced to say, well, is that me or is this me? Am I here or am I there? So Jesus won't be ignored. He's not content with ambivalence. He is asking, okay, I've presented this information about the truths of the kingdom of heaven. Now what are you going to do with it? Is essentially what he's saying. And it's an extended kind of, of summary of the Sermon on the Mount. But that's what Jesus is doing. Because you, you can't just walk away from what Jesus says. You can't just ignore this and go sit and have a cup of coffee without considering the implications. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do, is to consider what the truths are that he has offered. And I encourage you, as families, talk about these things. Um, we, we go in little bite-sized chunks. Some of the life groups are, are thinking through these passages. But I invite you, as a family, sit down and ask the question. Ask your kids, where are you in this, this picture? Especially as we move through the, the conclusion here. Who am I? Where do I fit in this, this continuum? What, what do you think about this, this Sermon on the Mount, this incredible sermon? And so today we're just going to look at verses 13 and 14 because this is the first illustration of the beginning of this conclusion. And what Jesus does is he presents two gates, which leads to two different ways of life that are followed by two different clusters of people, which really and ultimately result in two different eternal destinies. So that's the, the gravity of the situation. Jesus here is talking about the eternal destiny of souls. There's nothing less than heaven or hell on the line here in what Jesus is presenting. And so there's only one command um, that Jesus gives in this, this, these two verses. Only one command is supported by two purpose clauses to explain the reasons behind the command. And so if we diagram this little paragraph, I think it's a lot easier to see what I'm talking about. So if the, the, the command is at the, the beginning of the paragraph, which is enter by the narrow gate. That is supported by two purpose clauses, each of which begin with four so you see what Jesus is doing. He's presenting a command and he's now explaining. Okay, enter by the narrow gate because, and the summary statement is, because it's easy to go to hell and it's hard to go to heaven. And so he's going to force us to think about the, dip, the ease with which we can get into hell and the difficulty with which we can get into heaven. So that's, that's what Jesus is aiming at. He's calling us to, to, to enter this narrow gate. And, and what is the narrow gate? Which leads us to a question. When you see a command like this, my first question as I sat and read this was, enter into what? What are we invite? It's a gate, yes, but to what does the gate lead? Where, where are we going here? What is Jesus doing? And you can, you can find this out by asking yourself, what is the Sermon on the Mount about? So the larger context of the passage, when you're, when you're asking interpretive questions, you always ask, what's the context? Both the larger context and the immediate context. So the larger context of the Sermon on the Mount, what has this sermon been about? It's the kingdom of God. If there's anything that has been repeated, it is the kingdom of heaven has been repeated seven times 
Jesus has again and again throughout this sermon been speaking about the kingdom of heaven. And then if you want further proof in the the closer context, just look down a couple of verses into chapter 21. If you have your copy of scripture, just follow me down and you'll see what's on his mind is entering into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Those are terrifying words, and we'll, we'll come to those later. But you see, what's he thinking about? Into what is he thinking about entering? It's the kingdom of heaven. So that's what's on Jesus' mind, and he's trying to help us be sure that we get there. So on his mind, the, the gate is a kind of metaphor for a way of life that gets a person into heaven. That's, that's what Jesus wants to focus our attention on it. And so I, I'm, I'm asking if anybody in the room is concerned about making sure you get into heaven, this ought to have your attention. If any of you are confused about whether or not you're on the right way, this is for you. If any of you find the way, a difficult way and a struggle, then Jesus is aiming to keep you on that way. And that's my prayer, is that we think about this together. We will find uh, encouragement to keep moving, to keep pressing on in this, this calling of our lives. That's, that's why we come together each week, is to encourage each other on to godliness. And so this narrow gate uh, about which he's speaking is a pointer uh, to heaven. So why does he give this command? He gives us two reasons. It's easy to go to hell. It's hard to go to heaven. Let's look at each of them. So verse 13, go back with me. Let's look at first reason why he gives this command. Enter into the narrow gate. Why? For, verse 13, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So it's easy to enter destruction and Jesus would have you avoid it. He's calling out a warning Don't go there. Don't go into destruction. He uses the word destruction. Uh, We should think of this word as a synonym for hell. Why? Uh, The word destruction in in the Greek is apollyon, which is a, a definitive destruction, not merely in the sense of an external or extinction of physical existence, but rather an eternal plunge into Hades and Uh, hopelessness of destiny of death. So that's the meaning of the word. So it doesn't mean a cessation of existence such that once you're destroyed, you no longer exist. What the word refers to is a continuation of death. And we see this because this is the word that is used to describe the eternal destiny of Satan, of, of all of those who follow him in rebellion against God, whether you're angels or human, both have the same destiny ultimately. And that condition is described repeatedly in Scripture as eternal punishment, everlasting contempt, and a place of burning about which the smoke goes up forever and ever. So that's what destruction stands for. It's shorthand for hell. And what we think of as the place of final destiny of those who have rejected Christ and, and turned away from the option of salvation. So Jesus is saying it's easy to go to hell. It's easy to enter into destruction. There's a wide gate. It is very wide. It's easy to get through this. There are 
no restrictions. There's no limitations on this particular gate. Uh, There's no requirements. There's plenty of room. Everybody goes there. And so he says, everybody is welcome in this particular gate. So careful, caution, don't enter into that gate. That's, that's the default position, is, is as it were, he's saying. So it's, it's a wide space to enter in, but also, he says, once you get in, it's very easy to stay there. It's incredibly easy, and uh, there's no obstacles to your progress. You don't have any rocks or roots to prohibit you from continuing on this path. It's free of difficulty. It looks great. And in fact, as you, as you look at this particular way... It's, it's a, it, you don't even have to go uphill ever. You, you know, we, we walked seven miles going to uphill to school when we were kids, but now this, this is easy. You can continue going down this path without even getting your, you know, losing your breath. It's very easy. And so it's a gradual descent. It's, it's, it's easy, and he also says many people go into this way. So because this way is so easy, it's very popular, right? Lots of people enter in. The majority embrace this easy way. And isn't it easy to go with the flow? It's, you don't have to do anything. No effort is required in the stream of, of this way to just simply be and get carried along. And Jesus says many people enter in. And, and one has to think, if this is the easy way, surely something good is on the other end. For could so many people be wrong? How many of you have ever found, uh, sometimes the many are wrong. You're standing in a line uh, you don't even know why. You, you think you're trying to get into some place and suddenly you discover they're going to a different restaurant and that's not even where you want to go. Right? The majority sometimes are on the wrong way and yet we might easily be deceived into thinking that's the way we want to go. And Jesus says, push pause please. That is the way to destruction. That easy way, that wide way leads to destruction. And so Jesus is calling us out to be careful in not blindly following an easy path. He says many people go this way. And the problem is Jesus says they're pleasantly progressing to hell is what Jesus is saying. And again, I ask you, is Jesus trustworthy? Right? Can we trust what he is saying? Do we believe this, of, of where he is teaching and how he is calling us out in a way of warning? Because there are many people who are heading to hell and have no idea where they're going. It, it is the default position of this world. You realize that. We live in a world that has been cursed from almost the beginning of time. If we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we remember that because of Adam and Eve's sin, God cursed the ground. Right? The very earth that we stand on carries a continual curse of God's condemnation of sin. The, the, the whole planet is broken. And so under bearing up under the curse of God's justice and might and wrath, Paul says the entire creation is kind of groaning under the weight and the burden of this curse. 
This is the world in which we live. So the whole world, the Bible says, lies under the power of the evil one in this respect. Meaning that we, are, we don't realize as, as humans, prior to coming to the, the grace and truth of the gospel, we don't realize we're on a way to destruction. We just think we're moving along through life. But there is, there's no simple way to describe this. This is a painful truth that we have to be confronted with, that all of the world bears up under the curse of sin. And so how do we avoid this? Jesus is calling us out to say, that road leads to destruction. Are you going to continue on that road? And every one of us have to stop and ask, what's the direction of my life? Where am I headed? If this is true, that we're all by nature, as we see Paul says in Ephesians 2, 3, we are by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's a fundamental statement about the reality of this world. The whole world is already condemned by not receiving the, the joyful submission to the lordship of the only Savior whom God has provided. All of the world is already condemned. Jesus, we know that John 3.16, Jesus came to save. Why? Not to condemn, John says. He did not come to condemn because the world was condemned already. The world's already under a place of condemnation, has been from the beginning. The, the, the call is, will you escape the condemnation? Will you get out of this way that leads to destruction and into a way that leads to life? Because that's the option that's before us. Right? We are all born, as, as we see in John, loving darkness. We are born as little, tiny, rebellious people. And every parent knows this. Fifteen minutes with a, a two-year-old, you, you know. Rebellion is hardwired into the fiber of our being. Right? Nobody has to be taught how to lie or be selfish. We know these things innately. So this is a reminder Jesus is calling us out of a direction in which we find ourselves by nature. So will we stand out? Will we listen to his voice? Because we're on a path, and unless you hear the voice of Jesus saying, turn, step out of your normal way, you'll continue blindly. All of us do. The only way any of us step out of this wide and easy way to destruction is by hearing the voice of Jesus saying, your life needs to change. Don't continue the same way. And if you're in this room and you're thinking, something needs to change about my life, that's the voice of Jesus calling you. And Christian, those of you who are Christians, if you hear the same question saying, something about my life needs to change, that too is the voice of Jesus calling you to persistent obedience and continual sanctification because that's what we're called to. And so Jesus commands us, enter by the narrow gate. That's, so the first reason he gives this command is because it's easy to go to hell. You don't have to do anything. You're on your way. The second reason he gives this command is in verse 14. So look at verse 14 with me. Verse 14 says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So it's easy to go to hell, but it's hard to find heaven, is what Jesus is saying. So he is calling us, issuing a command here, look for the narrow gate. The narrow gate, it, it's hard to get through. It, it, it's 
Not easy access. Here's something that you can't go in with a large pack on your back. Think of it as as paring down to the simple things of life. There's a narrow way. Not everybody gets in here. There's room for any who would want to go, but many stand at the edge of this gate and say, I'm not sure I want to go in there. It, It looks weird. Christians are strange. They do weird stuff. I don't want to be identified with them. They're wackos and crazy people. Sometimes we see that, and I I wondered, having our team just come back from Ecuador, um, they showed me one particular picture which uh, gives you what I think is kind of like looking down this narrow road because it's a, it's a, a, a pathway that they went up uh, up the mountain and they were carrying it. You'll hear the rest of the story. I'll give you a little clue. Packs of like 30 pound bags of gravel on their shoulders as they went up that pathway. It's hard to get uh, a real uh, feel for what the picture's like because you're on all hands and you're on your hands and knees essentially, right? Yeah, that's what I said. You're low. There's a kind of humility that is necessary in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. But who wants to go up that? Who would volunteer to go that way? It's uphill all the way. Why would anybody do that? And the answer is many don't. Jesus says only a few people are willing to do this comparatively. Right? Only a few are willing to go in. It's hard. It's not easy. Anybody in the room who's been a Christian for a while, would you say it's easy to be a Christian? Especially not in New England. It's incredibly difficult to stand up and be consistent for Christ. But what's on the other side? Jesus said this narrow, difficult way leads to what? He says it leads to life. So he holds out before us an invitation to life. Yes, it's narrow. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, there are obstacles. But do you want life? What do you want? What do you want more? Would you volunteer to go to destruction? Or do you want to endure a hard pathway to get to life? Right? Jesus is the one who holds out before us life. And when he's talking about life, he's not merely talking about your present physical life amped up by a factor of 10. What is Jesus talking about? What's the topic of this Sermon on the Mount? It is the kingdom of heaven. He is talking about heavenly life. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a kind of life we can't fully imagine. We get little glimpses of it in Scripture. We get little hints of it. We have a little foretaste of it now. But what Jesus is talking about is a life of an entirely different kind. An entirely different variety. One that never wears out. And how many of you... I've been doing some yard work lately, and I am worn out, right? We were shoveling, um, what do you call that stuff you pitch around? Mulch, thank you. Another senior moment, Bobby. I was shoveling mulch the other day, and I felt something pop in my back. 
I was telling Lisa last night, I can't even turn over without pain. So I went to bed praying, Lord, can I please stand up and preach tomorrow? So he answered my prayer, I'm here. But it's not without some sort of reminder that back here is a little tiny wound, right? Things are difficult in this life. Things break down. The kind of life that Jesus offers us is one which is described as having all pain removed, all suffering removed, every tear removed wiped away. Every lonely night ended. Every time you grieve when you see someone on the street struggling with addiction, that's gone in the, in the place that Jesus is talking about. Every time you ache when you are alone and there's nobody to call, that is over. When you're overwhelmed with the sense of anxiety and you're burdened in this, this life, the kind of life that Jesus is talking about, all of that those burdens are lifted. Jesus, he wipes away every tear is the kind of life that he's talking about. Do you want it? You want that kind of life. That's what he's inviting us to. And is this an easy? Is this easy to get there? No, it's not. Because there are serious obstacles which we often bump into when we think about deep truths like this. And so what is this narrow way? One of the narrow claims of Christ is that he is the only way of salvation. He says that here at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which comes at the beginning of his ministry, you'll remember. Jesus fleshes this out more and more as his ministry develops over time. For example, in John chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the door. And by that, he he means the kingdom of heaven. I'm, I'm the door into heaven. And he says, anybody else who climbs up by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There's no other way to get to God. John 14, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. These are the claims that Jesus offers us. And the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, heard Jesus say an astonishing thing in John chapter 4. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. Christ means the anointed one, the chosen one whom God has sent to redeem the world. I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I'm, I'm, I'm him. That's incredible. So he says this in Samaria, and then a little while later, in Jerusalem, at the feast, he says almost the same thing to a crowd there in John chapter 8, 23 and 24. He said to them, I am from above. And I'm thinking, you grew up in Nazareth. He says, I am not of this world. You were born in Bethlehem. Right? He says, I, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. This is the claim of this guy we call Jesus. Because sin is the primary problem with communion with God. Sin is what keeps us from enjoying communion with God. And Jesus was the only man who ever completely kept himself from sin while he was here. And so he is the only one who can keep you from sin when you're there. So is your faith in him? 
This is what Jesus is saying. He has dealt with our sins. And so after his resurrection, he commanded his disciples, go preach this good news. This is the gospel. That sin has been atoned for. And Jesus commands his disciples, go preach this to the ends of the earth. Luke 24. Go preach in the name of Jesus that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, Jesus' name, to all nations starting in Jerusalem or beginning from Jerusalem. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They did that. They began preaching in Jerusalem that Jesus was the means by which we can have communion with God the Father, that your sins, however horrid they might be, can be completely atoned for. It's only through Jesus and in his name. And so the disciples were so convinced of this, uneducated men stood in front of the people of the Jewish people as well as their leaders and said this in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the message of, of salvation through Christ alone, which Jesus commanded to be preached, and the disciples preached it. They went around the world preaching this. They did it in Jerusalem. And when, when uh, Peter went to Cornelius' house in Caesarea, Cornelius was a Gentile. He said the exact same thing. Here's what he said. Speaking about Jesus, Peter said, He is the one, this is Acts chapter 10, 42. He is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him and receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness of your sins comes through faith in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul said the same thing. Only he said, if anybody twists this truth and changes or adds to the message of salvation through faith in Jesus alone, that there is a curse reserved for them. Here's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one which we preach to you, then let him be accursed. And as we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So Paul is saying, those who are changing the gospel, twisting it, not only, Jesus is not enough, you have to do this, which by the way is the marker of every cult. Every cult will tell you the gospel is not enough. You need to also do this. Or the Bible is not enough. The message in the Bible is not enough. You need an interpretive key in order to understand the secret truths of the Bible. And so if you count every 16th letter, you'll come up with this code. And here it is. All of those kinds of twistings of the gospel come from a distortion of the truth of the fact that Jesus and Jesus alone gets anybody into heaven who gets into heaven. I knew that as an eight-year-old. That, that truth landed on me. I knew Todd Cravens was a wicked little sinner. I had all kinds of things I have done wrong, which I don't need to tell you. You can imagine what an eight-year-old can do, right? And you, you parents are funny because they think my eight-year-old's a little angel. He, he, she's not. He's not. They're little devils. They just are great at hiding it. And we all know it because you were one. You know what kind of deception you, you go through. All kinds of schemes we go through to hide our sin. That was me as an eight-year-old. And I knew one thing. If I died as an eight-year-old, that moment, I went to hell. 
completely just. Because one sin got Adam and Eve kicked out of the Garden of Eden, out of God's presence forever. One sin. Todd Cravens had sinned more than once as an eight-year-old. I deserved as an eight-year-old to go to hell, and I knew it. And I also knew something else. The only person who could get me out of my situation was Jesus. And so I prayed as an eight-year-old, Jesus, will you help me? Will you forgive me? Will you please help me? And he did. He hears the prayers of little eight-year-olds or however old, 20, 19, how old are you this morning? If you need that kind of forgiveness, it's there. Forgiveness of sins is here for us. And, And this is a narrow way. This is a very narrow teaching. And and I say this with with all love. Nobody else is sinless. When we think about what about every other religion or what about this? Nobody else is sinless. Nobody else died and was resurrected. Jesus alone has accomplished those things. Therefore, salvation can only come through him alone. And this is a hard truth. This is a narrow truth, but it's also hard. It's hard to be a Christian, right? It's hard to be faithful at all times. And yet, part of the difficulty is to be a Christian requires you to be absolutely convinced you cannot save yourself. You have to be absolutely convinced that there's nothing you can do that when you get to heaven, you're not going to pull out some toy and say, look what I did for you, Jesus. There's not going to be some trophy that you can say, look how many, I, I, you know, shoveled the snow for widows so-and-so 75 times, and I gave $10,000 to X charity and a million to the church, and how many hours did I spend in community service? Nobody's going to stand before God, and he's going, oh, okay, well, you're in. That's not how it works. Jesus is our Savior, and He alone grants us the righteousness to stand before God the Father. And we have to die to our thinking that we can get ourselves into heaven. And and this is what Jesus calls for in Matthew 16. Jesus told His disciples, verse, verse 24, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you're carrying a cross, what, what does that bring to mind? Right? A cross is an implement of death. And when Jesus says, you take up your cross and follow me, he means you have to be willing to die to yourself. Deny yourself. Deny that you can get yourself righteousness because you can't. Righteousness only comes by looking at who Jesus is, how he lived his life, how he died, and then embracing the righteousness that he can give you. We cannot come up with righteousness on our own to get us access to God the Father. It is only through grace in him and what he has accomplished being given to us by faith. And so he says, you must be willing to die. You must be willing to die to yourself so that you can then live to Christ. So being a Christian is hard. You have, to con- you have to confess, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I'm, I'm, I can't save myself. And you also have to be willing to confess, I believe Jesus can. I believe he can save me. I believe he actually died and he rose from the grave on the third day and has now ascended into heaven and, and Paul says, if you confess with your mouth 
that he is Lord, that you're a sinner, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. And I invite every one of you in this room, if that's you, if you've never done that, you've never confessed to the Lord, I am a mess. I am a sinner. I have, I have disobeyed you. I have fallen short of your glory. Will you please forgive me? If you do that, if you confess in your heart, meaning it, in truth, in sincerity, he will forgive you. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, if you're burdened with all of your sin and you know you need to be relieved of that burden, go to Jesus and he will forgive you. If you ask for forgiveness, he will forgive you. If you ask for him to give you the life that we see in this passage, he will give it to you. And, and that is an invitation that I want to invite every one of you to this morning. If, you're, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I want to invite you to confess your sins and, and pray for forgiveness. I'm going to pray for us in just a moment. I'm going to, let, I'm going to invite you to do that then. If you're a believer, you're, you're already walking with the Lord, I want to invite you to consider asking the Lord, can you pour more of that life into me? Can you, I, I know I need to be more like Jesus. I'm sure my family can tell you, he, he does need to be more like Jesus. Right? We all need the life of Christ in us more, right? We need more of Jesus. I need to look like Christ more. There's, there's more shaping that can be done with us. That's the call of the Christian life, and that's hard. It's hard to say there are things about my life that need to be changed. And I also know if you ask him, he hears the prayers of his children. So I want to invite you to pray whether you've never prayed to God through Jesus before at all, pray and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to give you his Holy Spirit. And if you are a Christian already and you've been walking with the Lord, would you pray and ask him, will you, will you give me more life? Let's pray together. Father, I ask that these words that we hear Jesus speaking enter by the narrow gate would be the one that every one of us would obey. And Lord, maybe there's some here that have, have never entered that way, and today is the day of the beginning of that entrance. And Lord, I, I pray you'd let them enter in today by faith in you, Lord Jesus, alone. And we trust your word, which says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And if if you're a person who has never confessed Christ, I want to invite you to do so right now. I want to invite you to simply say you are a sinner. Say this is, this is quietly between you and the Lord. Simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know I need forgiveness. And I know you, Jesus, can forgive me. Will you forgive me and give me life? And for those of us who are walking with him and have been for a long time, would you just pray? Lord, will you change me? Will you pour your life into me? Will you forgive me of my sins and my weaknesses? And would you restore the joy of my salvation so that I 
can look up into your face with joy and gladness. Lord Jesus, thank you for being a kind and humble Savior. Thank you for alerting us to the ease with which hell can be entered. Thank you for calling us into a, a narrow and yet wide enough for anyone to get in who, who looks to you for salvation. And Lord Jesus, we ask that your grace would rest upon us as we sing right now and worship you. We're going to sing this song straight to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And it is in your holy name I pray. Amen.